Welcome to The Difference Engine, the show for founders, funders, and the category curious. Don't confuse size, don't confuse valuation with category leadership. I'm not the only person frustrated by this. You disagree with my analysis. I do. You either acquire or you are acquired. Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. And it's proof that you're winning the argument. We all know history is written by the winners. Hi, Paul. Tell me, what have we got coming up today? We've got Microsoft and Activision, two of the biggest beasts in video gaming, getting together, and the regulators are not happy about it. Plus, tips on how to take people with you on your category journey. But first off, let's have a look at what AI's got to do with category. Is AI the ultimate category modifier? Is it just another me too? Hot, hot topic. So Google I.O. just wrapped up. And the big news is that Google is on the path to finally squaring up to OpenAI and Microsoft. So there were announcements about how the Google workspace is going to feel all the AI goodness and all the innovation is going to flow through something called Duet, which is competing with Microsoft 365's Copilot. And so many are claiming this is the era of the large language model. I think by your count, it's the third uh, era, uh, third the third coming of. The third coming. Mm. But is it on a par with other life-changing tech categories like, you know, the smartphone and the app store and the internet and the current generation of web browsers? Is it worth considering your category as a subcategory of AI or a rival or even a replacement for a subcategory of AI, something like generative AI? Should category designers now be thinking about AI and how should they merge that with their category design as they think up their future categories? Well, as we all know, only time will tell just how disruptive the tech is. There can be no question of the real world value companies can up their game just by adding the phrase AI to their category. You know, some funders, VCs, including some of the world's most successful VCs, have been swayed into paying over the odds to gain access to companies who could be the next big thing with AI apparently being at the core of what will drive the next upturn. In fact, you know, we have actually recently recommended clients, especially those looking at seed and early funding rounds, to consider adding modifiers to AI to attract the herd of funders to whom this is currently a must-have in their portfolio. In the current environment, a little sprinkling of AI is a sure way to grab a meeting with investors. The key issue, though, is are they the right investors? Yeah, a couple of examples here I think are going to help. Um, so the first one that comes to mind is a company literally in the mining space. I'm talking about pulling rocks out of the ground, crushing them, putting them on heaps, words that, that you'll know from your uh, background in geology, um, dealing with leaching, all sorts of like really, really on the ground type work. And our advice to this company, software company in the space was, AI is 100% relevant to your offering. I mean, it is literally how you get the best, uh, maximize and optimize the uh, the throughput from the work that you're doing. And the phrase itself, frankly, given the hype, it's going nowhere. So embrace it was our advice. Uh, add it to your category name, which is what they, in fact, went on to do it. And that's a really positive message for that client because they're in a capital-intensive, heavy industry space. And adding AI differentiates them from all the rest of the strat consultancy firms who just offer reports and spreadsheets and don't actually 
do anything. Yeah, uh, that's a really brave move in a, an extractive industry. It's very differentiating, right? That's the whole point of a category. Uh, as a bonus, I learned what flocculation meant. I always thought that was a service that one paid for down in Soho. But Steady, Paul, I'm getting excited uh, at that yeah, word. Yeah, I think you know. Just don't mention rod mills, otherwise oh. I'll have to leave the room. <laughs> right, and on the other side of the coin, different client. Just this week, we're advising a UK-Israeli startup, and they specialize in project management, mega projects, really, in the built environment. And these guys are doing really well, um, growing the business beautifully, getting ready to launch their category and decide on their category. They need a small round and they're going out to investors. Now, investors just got burnt really badly with crypto and uh, Web3 and all of that nonsense. Yeah. And so now they're trying to understand uh, when they go out to market, how much AI to dial into the, mm -hmm. to their messaging. And the answer for those guys is different to the mining folks. For these guys, yeah, it's it's a question of um, their investors being very savvy. Their, their investors will know the difference between machine learning versus pure AI, uh, generative AI versus non-generative AI, etc. Uh, and so, really, pulling the wool over their eyes is not appropriate. So that's one way you just need to maybe dial down because you know if you're talking about AI, is it is it your own proprietary AI? Is it off-the-shelf AI? They took a more cautious approach and they're changing the pitch audience by audience. And that's pretty typical of a new category space. You need to take, it's a judgment call, how much you dial in other existing categories. And the trick is to know which part of your point of view to lean in on for different audiences. So the message here is that AI can help you differentiate your category if it is directly relevant to what you are offering your customers. And most importantly, if it actually helps solve their problems in a differentiated way. What you need to avoid is AI washing because over time, this phrase is going to be very obvious and it won't be differentiating. And, and I should know, I work for an enterprise software company who just as web was taking off, added the word interactive to its name. And trust me, it took us years to move on from having our audiences and prospects confused about what we did versus, uh, you know, graphics design agency. Yeah, yeah, I, rem I remember that time well. I, I also think there's, there's definitely a lesson from history in this as well, which is if you are going to start to move into categorization in a, a new emerging category, be very careful to what extent that your product or service actually contains that particular technology. Is it at its core or have you just put a front end on? And those who are old enough to remember the movement from hierarchical to relational databases will remember that the independent leader in hierarchical databases was a company called Cullinet. And as the likes of Oracle and Ingress and Sybase came through, Cullinet decided that it too should be a relational database company. So put a relational front end on what was essentially a hierarchical engine. And that little deceit eventually cost them the market and cost them the company and cost them being acquired at a very knockdown price. Ooh, nobody would like that. So yeah, be careful. Be careful out there. Microsoft and Activision, two of the biggest beasts in video gaming getting together and the regulators are not happy about it. Basically, when you design a category, the whole point of going for a category is to dominate a large total addressable market. Sometimes though, when you do this, you end up actually addressing that total addressable market. What's the problem with that? Well, the most successful category creators will eventually come up with government regulation. And what we mean by that is antitrust and competition. The weirdness of capitalism, that if you become highly successful, you become dangerous. 
So, should category creators be worrying about being so successful they'll end up having to go to law against government to preserve their marketplace? I think it's a luxury problem. Paul actually disagrees. I do indeed. And if we talk about capitalism, let's think about the top of the heap in terms of uh, companies. If you think about Microsoft, they own LinkedIn, they have the Azure platform, and they have the OpenAI product bubbling away. Now they're getting greedy. Now they are trying to buy into the video games industry after their success with Xbox. And so the Competitions Markets Authority in the UK, the CMA, has said, no, you can't do that. You cannot buy Microsoft, Activision, who owns Call of Duty, World of Warcraft, and Overwatch, and others. We think it's a little bit of a step too far. So we've got all of this action happening with antitrust in the UK. Uh, in the States, we have a British-born chairman of the FCA, Lena Khan, who's also kicking big tech. Somebody says, no, these these people that are going around attracting and um, acquiring all of the category leaders have overstepped. And you can see this also uh, a pushback, they call it the tech lash with the GDPR move in the EU now replicated wildly, but started uh, in Dublin here in Europe with an Austrian chap by the name of Max Schramm taking on Facebook or Meta as it is now. And how does this relate to categories? So think about the consequence of the Activision decision that where the CMA says no. It's still live in the courts. But if this comes to pass, Microsoft will have to have a different version of Microsoft for the UK market and any market that follows the CMA's ruling than the rest of the world. It's total addressable market, which is what you were talking about at the start. And, you know, what every category aspires to be is to dominate the total addressable market is therefore reduced. And imagine that you're the games studio that one day, once you've built out your category in your game, you aspire to sell to Microsoft. How does that look? I mean, that's you know that means that you might be a lot less attractive, and that's going to hurt UK innovators trying to build their categories out for the UK. Likewise, there's a, another piece of legislation going through the online safety bill, and and WhatsApp's already said that it will pull out of the UK if that goes through as it's currently planned. So again, I'm trying to partner with WhatsApp. One of my strategies I might want to deploy is I build out my categories to sell to Meta. How is that going to look? if these regulators come in and quote-unquote spoil the pitch. You disagree with uh, with my analysis? I do, I do. I think there's a fundamental difference between being a dominant player in a category and being a monopolist in a category. And I think all this comes down to good business management as you're growing a company. You know, If you are a very successful category creator, you have to realise that this will remain a risk that you are regarded as a monopolist. Therefore, you should be very aware of the need to segment within your category so that, in fact, you do not become a company that, that is seen to be acting against the interests of the consumers of your product. You know, as I say, we have a fundamental disagreement on this. I think this is very limiting and it stops the aspiration to grow uh, categories to be as large as they possibly could by the definition. And you think you know, regulation generally is a good thing. No, I think if you're attracting the attention of the regulators, you're doing something right. There's some truth in that. You know what? This really grinds my gears. 
I'll tell you, Paul, I'll tell you what's grinding my gears. It's the sort of conversations we're having with some companies at the moment where they look at us and go, this is great. Category creation, absolutely great. We really, really want to do it. And you know what we get then? But, the big but. And what's the big but? The big but is, well, things are really tight. You know, we're concentrating on our cash flow. We're reducing our overheads. We're keeping our investors happy. You know when that grinds my gears? Because it's wrong absolutely wrong. If you look at all the evidence of history, the people that go on to dominate categories and to get the value out of them are the ones that focus on category creation precisely when times were really tough. Yeah, you can sort of understand it. So in a nutshell, are we in a downturn? Yes, we are in an economic downturn. But a very tight investment environment might be a good time to think about your category because having a clear category strategy can help you raise funds. Mm. Uh, just like the year 2000, Y2K, you remember that one, dot com, dot bomb, bust, that was terrific. Uh, the financial crisis in 2008, that hurt everybody. And of course, COVID more recently in 2020. But just this week, CB Insights, great research firm, uh, showed that we are down 47% quarter on quarter on IPOs. And that is the worst for a decade. And that means that the end of the funnel is blocked and there's a lot of problems out there for founders and category designers. We've seen clients who are taking down rounds on valuations, doing really odd debt equity deals, nobody wants that, shipping their firms around in what is now a soft market. And of course, all the time, you've got your employees staring at really depressed stock valuations because maybe you raised at a very high valuation, and that's not good for morale. So whilst all of the down rounds and debt equity deals and all that sort of, sort of stuff is fair, these are levers that business leaders can pull, there is another strategy to deploy and that's category development in a downturn. The good news is it's relatively low cost and it could be the key to survival through the downturn, but more importantly, setting yourself up to thrive as we come out of this cycle. Yeah, I think there's a general good business maxim there, Paul, and that is focus on the things that you can control. And uh, category development is one of those things. And it can act as a really galvanizing force in business. I mean, in the last few months, some of the European companies we have been working with and, and helped to develop distinctive and strategic category positions uh, have still been able to attract fresh growth funds, even in the current highly depressed market. You know, so, so companies such as Products Up out of Berlin, you know, they've pulled in over 70 million in the Series B. LockTax, uh, Collaborative Tax Governance is their category. They're absolutely killing it. They've just pulled in a 12 million Series A led by Index Ventures out of New York. And you know we're really talking about the Premier League of venture capital there. Our friends down in Israel at uh, Pantera, Automated Security Validation, again, totally killing it. Just pulled in 150 million at a 1 billion valuation in a round led by K1 Investment Management. That's really important. You know, they're still a, they're still valued as a, a unicorn. Their horn is still firmly on their head. So, you know, that's what we can point to right now. But I think those of us who have been around a few technology boom and busts know that there's always lessons to be learned from history. And clearly this applies to tech too. If you look back, tech category leaders, including Airbnb, Electronic Arts, IBM, Microsoft, and, and even Uber, were all founded during recessions. Uh, and others uh, launched right before major economic meltdowns. I mean, look at you know Google, Salesforce were 
both founded just before the dot-com bubble burst, and Facebook emerged shortly before the subprime financial crisis. So if you look at that bravery and that relentless category uh, creation and reinforcement, it's no wonder that research shows that category leaders accrue up to 76% of the value in any market. Yeah, it's tough, right? Right now, it's very tough. Investors and acquirers are not really looking for vitamin pills, uh, unless you add a little bit of AI sprinkle dust on it, but they're looking for headache remedies. And that is just a fact of life. But history and recent experience shows that in that sort of market, that's the time when the categories that solve real customer problems come to the fore. And we think it's a great time to start your category design journey. Uh, so it's not just time to react. It's time to think really long term. And the great news about thinking is, as I said before, it's relatively low cost, um, but it's hard it's, it is hard to resist the temptation to do what everybody else is doing. At the end of the day, what you have to bear in mind is category design is about doing what's different. You zag when everybody else zigs, and that's category design. This has been pissing me off for a long time. It's puzzled me over and over again why some individuals can be dead against what are clearly really good ideas. If you're experienced in category creation programs, you'll be familiar with the idea of Zs, or possibly Zs, as our North American cousins would say. These are the negative individuals that pop up at any moment in the category design process and can threaten to derail it. So the question is, how, as part of the process of taking people with you on the journey, do you stop the Zs from appearing in the first place? It's a question that David Schoenthal and Lauren Nordegren, who are both professors at Northwestern University in the States, have been researching for quite a few years. So Schoenthal and Nordgren found that leaders often focus too much on the rush of making new ideas appealing. Yeah, how typically tech, you might think. But then not enough time on the grind of overcoming the frictions that undermine the change. Despite every instinct of entrepreneurs and innovators to differentiate by newness, it appears, according to their research, more effective to make unfamiliar ideas feel and appear more familiar. Now, let's not get too academic. You're old academics coming out here. Let's keep this practical so what okay. can we actually learn. All right. So what is quite clear is that if you're trying to affect change in organizations, one of the key things is repetition. The more an individual organization is exposed to something, the more familiar and less threatening it becomes. So when you're introducing something new, clarity is essential, making the team understands what, what's in it for them, you know, never forget the personal motivation and what's needed from them. In strike planning, delivering this is fundamental and why all strikes must have roadmaps. You know, vagueness is, is the sworn enemy of, of category creation. And I think lastly, you, you've got to realize it's, it's going to be the case in any category creation project that Zs are going to appear. So the old adage, you know, fail to prepare and prepare to fail applies here. So just don't wait for the Zs to come well, out. Let's, let's double down a little bit on these so-called Zs. So uh, where are they and uh, why do they appear? As we said earlier, change management is really what category design is and bringing the organization with you is critical. So the most obvious place that in a enterprise software company that a Z will appear will be in the sales team. Uh, he or she will have um, 
been lionized. They will have um, been part of the success story so far for the company. They made their numbers. They grew the business. They were treated like heroes before the decision to build a country came in. So how do they know that they will still make their numbers and still be taken seriously and still be lauded if the company changes strategy? I think that's it's a fair call. And it's an issue which the leadership needs to uh, manage. Some salespeople are flexible enough to make the leap. Others are not, and they will hold back the change that needs to happen. Another place you can find Zeds is in the partner team. So they've also been successful with the existing partners. Uh, you know, if your category determines that you need new partners, potentially bigger ones, more strategic ones, have they got the skill set to go and address that bigger, more serious market? Which of your partners will win? Which of them will lose? The people in charge of your channel and your partner, are they able to take that leap with you? And then another obvious place for Zeds to hide and, and, and come out just when you leave them less is in the marketing department. They've built the assets that exist. They've built the sales that exist. There are new ones coming. So the message here, and it's a hard one to deliver really, is it's time for a clear out. Get rid of all that old stuff. Let's go with the new. Let's talk about building our new category. And so you know what you need to do is think about ahead of time what these objections might be and proactively plan steps to mitigate or counteract the potential for resistance. The better they're handled, the faster you'll get on. It's less expensive and more manageable if you do that up front, and that will prepare you well for the strike process. Anything else you want to add on that one? Don't assume that everybody will have the same enthusiasm for category design as you who will be leading it. Thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, head over to our blog at thecategorical.com. Remember, don't be better, be different. Be different.